Welcome to the Legal Download Podcast, a rundown of the latest issues impacting your business from Kelly Dry. Well, hello, this is Cameron Argetzinger. I'm a special counsel at Kelly Dry and Warren, and I'm joined here with Noah Lindenfeld, who's an associate at Kelly Dry, and we're here to talk today about our article uh, that we wrote together with partner Mike Lynch called COVID-19 is a Force Majeure Event, Key Judicial Decisions. Hi, Noah. How are you? Hey, Cameron. Nice to join you on, on this podcast. Noah, COVID burst on the scene back in March of 2020. And as we all know, it abruptly threw a wrench into everybody's plans, uh, everybody's personal plans, everybody's business plans. And sometimes things that you know businesses had agreed to do in contracts suddenly became much more of a challenge. And what, what we saw is that people started looking very, very carefully at these things called force majeure provisions. Um, it's kind of one of those boilerplate clauses that people didn't pay a lot of attention to uh, a lot of the time before. Um, but do you want to explain what a force majeure clause is? Right. So a force majeure clause is, is known as a superior clause, and it essentially excuses a party from performance when something happens, an an unanticipated event that's outside either party's control. So depending on the scope of the clause, events like a pandemic or government shutdown order like we've seen over the past two years, those could qualify as a force majeure event, excusing a party's performance or or a breach of the contract. And so before COVID, there was obviously a body of law out there of what courts had done in interpreting force majeure provisions, but there had really been nothing like COVID uh, in our lifetimes for certain, and it's really a a new thing for a lot of us. And so we wanted to write this article to go through, and two years on now, we're finally starting to see some of the cases that have ruled on on how these force majeure provisions are applicable in the COVID-19 context. So we're going to talk about uh, some of those cases that we found. And so it's it's hard to argue that COVID didn't immediately complicate everything in life all at once and that it wasn't unpredictable and outside anyone's control, which are kind of the, the you know, elements of a, of a force majeure provision. Uh, but at the same time, there's always going to be parties that are in a contract that are struggling uh, to perform for, for whatever reason and to hold up there under the bargain. Um, and so I think we've seen, and, and I've certainly dealt with clients who have seen on one side or the other that uh, there's a temptation to use force majeure as an excuse um, to say that COVID was the cause of some problem uh, when the parties were already having problems fulfilling the bargain uh, for reasons unrelated to COVID. And so we're going to take a look at some of those cases and how courts have dealt with that and how the specific facts matter. Um, so why don't we talk about some of these cases, Noah? And I know they break down into more or less two categories, uh, the, the cases where the courts find that uh, yes, this is a, a, a force majeure event. COVID qualifies, and we're going to let uh, the, the party who seeks that relief off the hook. And then there's some cases where the court, you know, either finds that COVID-19 might not be force majeure, uh, or uh, you know, if it is, it, it doesn't apply here for some other reason. So let, let's first talk about uh, JN Contemporary. I think sure. that was Southern District of New York. Yeah, this is a case out of the Southern District. Uh, it involves an, an auction house, Phillips, uh, that had an agreement with an art gallery to auction off two of the gallery's paintings. Uh, one of the paintings was by an artist, Rudolf Stingel, who's an 
living Italian New York-based artist. And the other one was uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, who's a New York-based artist. I, you know, they, their work sell for tens of millions of dollars or more, although, you know, with inflation these days, who knows? After the contract was signed, uh, the auction house uh, held an auction for one of the paintings. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. And the auction house canceled the second auction and refused to pay the gallery the minimum price it guaranteed in connection with that auction. So the, the, the force majeure clause in the party's agreement allowed Phillips, the auction house, to terminate the agreement. And I'm going to read it here, the, the force majeure clause, that is, for circumstances beyond our or your reasonable control, including without limitation, as a result of natural disaster, fire, flood, general strike, war, armed conflict, terrorist attack, or nuclear or chemical contamination. So the court relied on the dictionary definitions of natural disaster and looked at the text of certain government proclamations that were issued during that time frame during COVID, for example, by Governor Cuomo here in New York, that referred to the pandemic as a state disaster emergency or disaster declaration. And it concluded that the pandemic was a natural disaster within the meaning of the force majeure clause. So even though the, the force majeure provision gives kind of a laundry list of things that might qualify as a force majeure event, and it, it doesn't specifically include disease or pandemic, but the court looked at natural disaster, which was in there, and said that we, we can lump COVID in as, as just a natural disaster. It falls within that bucket. That's exactly right. And, and I would also point out the court also noted that the pandemic required the closing of businesses, which the court found was a circumstance beyond the party's control. Again, another term within the force majeure clause and was similar to other events listed in that clause. And so from the seller's perspective, they're thinking, well, we're entering into this contract and we're going to get at least X amount for this painting, whether or not the auctioneer can find a buyer or not. So the, the auctioneer is assuming that risk. So it, they're thinking it shouldn't really matter the fact that they can't, they can't find a buyer because of COVID because they've basically taken on the risk of, of there not being a buyer at all. And they're going to have to pay out of pocket in that case. But that's not how the court saw it, I guess. That's right. That's right. And I, and I, should, I should also note that the, um, the, recently, these I, I would say in March, I think, the Second Circuit affirmed uh, the district court's ruling um, that the party, the, par the force majeure uh, covered, covered this, this situation and Phillips was excused from holding, holding the auction. And, and on the same grounds. Right. Right. And I know there, there have been other cases that uh, in New York that say it's very important if you're looking at this kind of laundry list of, you know, things that are listed as examples of things that might be force majeure events. It's important for the actual event to, to be very similar to one of those things. So uh, in this case, do you think the court kind of treated it more broadly by, by looking at COVID as a natural disaster or is that, is that consistent with the older case law? You, you know what, actually, I, I had an issue with the way the court dealt with the government orders you know, the, the question of whether a government shutdown order is, a, is an event beyond the party's control, I, I think it's questionable. 
you know, the passage of any law or an executive order is 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 always beyond the party's control. That's something that's always possible. That's not out of the, that's not a that's not a natural disaster or or nuclear or chemical contamination. So I'm not sure why you know to the extent the government the, the court relied on government shutdowns to to excuse Phillips performance. I'm not sure why that would have triggered a force majeure clause. It certainly doesn't seem similar to the other events listed in the force majeure clause. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it certainly is something that I think, what, what is the first thing they say? It's got to be um, circumstances beyond your, our or your reasonable control. So that, that's the, the, the first part of it. And then they go into the various examples. But I think there's no question that COVID was a circumstance beyond anyone's reasonable control. Your point, though, I suppose, is that the, uh, the executive orders wouldn't necessarily fall in that. Uh, but anyway, so for those of you following along at home, um, the, the case site, the, the Second Circuit case site, it's not a reported decision yet since it just came out, but it's 2022 U.S. App Lexus 7652. Uh, why don't we move on to uh, another case, which is In Re Hits, which is, uh, I think that's a Northern District of Illinois bankruptcy case. That's right. This is in the, the Northern, Northern District of Illinois. So in this case, the landlord sought rent from, from a tenant, it was a restaurant, that shut down when the pandemic hit. I think the, you'll see a lot of these landlord-tenant uh, disputes uh, within the, in the COVID context. The restaurant invoked the leases force majeure clause to try to excuse the non-payment of rent during the pandemic. And I'll quote the clause here. The clause stated, Landlord and tenant shall each be excused from performing its obligations or undertakings provided in this lease in the event, but only so long as the performance of any of its obligations are prevented or delayed, retarded or hindered by laws, governmental action or inaction or orders of government. So the court found that the mm-hmm. Illinois governor's executive order prohibiting odd premises consumption of food and beverages that fell within governmental action and order. So the force majeure was was properly invoked here because the executive orders, to quote the, to quote the court, hindered the restaurant's ability to perform. And it was the proximate cause of the inability to pay rent. So unlike the JN case that we just talked about, uh, where the performance uh, required the auctioneer to just to hold an auction, and that was something that COVID made impossible or made very difficult. That was the performance that, that they couldn't do. Here, we're talking about the performance of the contract is paying rent, right? Yeah, here the, the obligation was different, and the COVID pandemic definitely hindered the, the, the restaurant's ability to pay. But I should note, the court did say that the restaurant wasn't entirely off the because, again, the executive order only dealt with on-premises food and beverages, it didn't prevent a restaurant from performing carry-out or delivery services. So to the extent the restaurant could have performed those services, its obligation is not totally excused by the force majeure clause. So the court held that the restaurant was liable for 25% of the monthly rent, given that, again, it was still able to perform. 
What's interesting is that, uh, you know, unlike, unlike the other case, Henry, or sorry, Jane Contemporary, there, they really couldn't do the thing. They couldn't physically do the thing because of COVID. They couldn't hold an auction. Here, there was nothing really stopping the tenant from the physical act of writing a check. It was just that COVID hindered the business, which then made it more difficult to earn the revenue that it would have used to pay the rent. So that seems like a more expansive view or a fairly expansive view of the clause. The case site for this one is 616-BR-374. And again, that's a bankruptcy case out of the Northern District of Illinois. Uh, why don't we talk next about the Rudolph case, Noah? Sure. Rudolph, this is Rudolph versus United Airlines Holding. And this is a case out of the Northern District of Illinois. And I won't go into the entire backstory of this case. The facts are, there's a, there's a pretty long backstory here. Um, but at, the relevant part is, is that customers asked for refunds for certain flights that were canceled in March 2020 when the pandemic hit the United States. The airline argued that the pandemic and government orders that followed constituted a force majeure event in its agreements with its customers, which meant it wasn't obligated to refund the customer's money. Interestingly, the customers pushed back on this argument, pointing to certain public statements and public filings by the airline regarding changes to flight schedules due to, for example, reduced demand, and notably not the pandemic or government orders that caused these flight cancellations. So they pointed to United Airlines' own statements that it was not because of the pandemic that it had to cancel these flights, but some other factors. And what did the court say about that? So the court held that even if COVID-19 or related restrictions were force majeure events, that's not enough to excuse United from offering refunds for canceled flights. The cancellations had to be caused by the force majeure events. I should note that there were some of the flights that were canceled, the court found, because of government restrictions, for example, to Costa Rica. Costa Rica closed the country's borders. So the court found that clearly those flight cancellations were caused by government orders. Well, and a lot of what I've seen in in this context is there's no question COVID was a a huge problem and and impacted everybody in a lot of ways. But, you know, the party that's seeking performance in these cases will argue that, you know, the party claiming force majeure, COVID wasn't the only reason that they couldn't perform there. There was some other issue uh, that had nothing to do with COVID that that was going to prevent them from performing or that was impacting their performing. And and maybe the force majeure claim is just being a little opportunistic. Um, it's looking for an excuse not to have to pay or not to have to do something uh, or looking for a way out of a contract altogether because they might have a better deal somewhere else. So it seems like that's what the court is trying to get to the bottom of here in this United case, right? They're saying, um, Yes, it could have been COVID. Uh, that could have been the reason for some of these. Couldn't, you couldn't perform on some of these, but there may be other reasons as well, and, and there's evidence of that. So they right. required the, the parties to go forward. Right. The, the courts will, will direct the parties to proceed with discovery, find out the reason of the purported inability to perform. I think you'll see in a lot of these cases that courts won't rule as a matter of law that a particular event is covered by a force majeure clause, but it'll make this termination upon a developed factual record. And that's what you see here. Yeah. Um, I mean, as bad as COVID was, it's hard 
there, there can be other reasons. So it's hard to say as a matter of law every time uh, that is the that is the cause of the problem. Um, so that case is Rudolph v. United Airlines Holdings. It's 519 F sub 3D 438, Northern District of Illinois case. Um, do you want to talk about in-ray Cinemax next? Sure. This is a, a bankruptcy case, another bankruptcy case out of the Southern District of Florida. This is a landlord-tenant dispute. A movie theater chain disputed uh, unpaid rent. So the lease is force majeure clause provided that if the landlord or the tenant's obligations are delayed by reason of force majeure, then the period or the time for the commencement or completion of the obligation is extended. So the lease defined force majeure as government restrictions or any other act which the performing party has no control, excluding financial liability of the performing party. So based on this clause, the court held that the tenant movie theater was excused from paying rent until it was allowed to open following the expiration of the government shutdown orders. Interesting. So it's kind of like the Hits case that we talked about a minute ago, where that was another restaurant case. Government orders were a force majeure event because they prevented the restaurant from opening uh, there, and the court found that was the proximate cause of the failure to pay rent. And so they couldn't perform, they couldn't pay the rent for that reason. Here, though, uh, what you're saying is that there was the force majeure clause excluded a financial inability to pay. So uh, what, what is the, what's the obligation that they couldn't, that couldn't be fulfilled here that was caused by COVID? Was it, are we saying that the, the payment by the, by the tenant or was it the landlord, the landlord had the obligation to supply the premises to the tenant? Right. It, it's, what, it's, what, how do they get around that financial ability to pay issue or exclusion from the force majeure clause in that case. So the, the landlord had to open the, the facility to, to allow patrons to come in to see the movies. And w- without doing that, uh, the, the party was excused from, from paying rent. So it effectively flipped the scenario who was, whose performance was, was made impossible by COVID uh, from the hits case. And that here we're looking at the landlord uh, and, and clearly the landlord couldn't, couldn't let people into movies if, um, if, the, if the government order shut down the movie theaters. Right, right. And, and you pointed out the, the financial ability of the performing party, that, that the force majeure excludes that. Um, you, you'll often see in these force majeure cases, and particularly those involving leases like we have here, that there's a severe limitation on a party's ability to excuse itself from its contractual obligations, that usually financial ability is not going to excuse a party. Yeah. And I suppose in the, in the Hitch case, they didn't have that limitation because that, that was, um, that, that was sufficient. It was, uh, COVID led to the, um, led to the inability to sell enough food in the restaurant, which led to the inability to pay rent. And that was, uh, maybe and maybe that case is a bit of an outlier um, from these cases, which um, which find that, that you have to have something more. Right. So that case, that one, In Ray Cinemax USA Real Estate Holdings Inc., six twenty seven BR six ninety three. That's uh, bankruptcy court of Southern District of Florida. Our next case is 
Palm Springs Mile Associates versus Kirkland Stores. It's a 2020 case from the Southern District of Florida. So here the tenant, which is Kirkland, stopped paying rent beginning in April 2020, which was when the pandemic hit. The force majeure clause in their lease said that the parties are excused from paying rent or from, from their obligations because of delays due to strikes, riots, acts of God, shortages of labor or materials, war, governmental laws, regulations or restrictions, or any other causes of any kind whatsoever, which are beyond the reasonable control of such parties. So here, the tenant, Kirkland, argued that the county's restrictions on business operations suspended its rent obligation. But the court rejected this argument. It said that Kirkland couldn't show that government restrictions prevented it from paying rent, which was the obligation uh, that the other party was want, tried to enforce here. So here, like we, we, we touched on this in, in the earlier cases, the courts will reject the operation of force majority clauses when often when the obligation of the defendant is, is, pay, is the payment of rent. And when the party is looking to invoke the clause, has the ability to pay rent, the clause generally won't be enforced. And so when you've got these, these failure to pay rent cases, there's obviously has to be a chain of causation that has to get established because, you know, as, as I said earlier, COVID didn't stop anybody from, from physically writing a check from that physical act, uh, but COVID may have prevented people from going to the restaurant because of government orders or whatever. And then that may in turn have caused the restaurant not to make the revenues it needed that uh, in, in order to pay the rent. Um, and so I guess this stresses the importance that if you have a claim like that, you really need to, to back up that chain of causation um, and explain that, um, which in hits the earlier case, the court found that the, the restaurant had done that. Uh, but here, I suppose the court's uh, view was that sure, COVID might be bad, uh, but people fail to perform for all kinds of reasons. People fail to pay rent for all kinds of reasons. And you've really got to lay it out exactly why um, why that happened here, how COVID was the, the direct cause or the government shutdown orders were the direct cause. And the case site for that one is 2020 WL5411353. And that's from the Southern District of Florida. And our last case here, Noah, this is also another one where the court didn't find uh, there was a COVID-19 force majeure um, situation. That one's called Less Simple. You want to talk, tell us about that one? Yeah, this is Less Simple Limited versus SLP Enterprises. And this is from the District of Massachusetts. And it involves distribution agreement for children's sunglasses. Less Simple is the exclusive distributor of SLP, which is the manufacturer of, of these sunglasses for, for in China. And it argued mm -hmm. that COVID-19 triggered the distribution agreement's force majeure clause and suspended its 2020 sales quota obligations. The court rejected this argument. It pointed to evidence in the record that showed the distributor actually was falling short of its quota obligations 
in 2019, even before the pandemic. So the court wouldn't allow La Simple to hide behind the force majeure clause to, to get out of the, the quota for 2020. Now, actually, the, the court also pointed to the distributor's own exhibits, which showed that it had plenty of employees in China and had the wherewithal to sell sunglasses through the rest of 2020. So I think this is a good example of the courts looking at the party's past performance to determine whether the alleged force majeure clause was actually the cause of the party's claimed inability to perform. So I think the salient issue here again is, was, was the force majeure the event, the cause of the party's non-performance? And here the court found that no, hey, there were a lot of things going on. You weren't performing in 2019. You had the wherewithal to perform in 2020. The force majeure clearly wasn't wasn't the the trigger of of, of your inability to perform. Yeah, that's what we've seen. Uh, I think in a lot of these cases is, um, is with our own clients is that depending on which side you're on, if you're the party that's demanding performance, you're going to argue that the party claiming force majeure is being opportunistic, uh, just trying to blame their problems on COVID. Uh, they have, you know, there's other problems that they've got that are the real reason for why they're not performing here. And so they can't get out of it because of COVID and because of force majeure. Or if you're the party that's claiming force majeure, the way you'll see it sometimes is that the other side is just going to make up or point to some other non-COVID reasons for why you couldn't perform, and they're not going to go along with, you know, the real fact that, that COVID completely, you know, shuttered your business and prevented you from doing what, what you had to do to, to meet your obligations under the contract. Um, and that's why the courts obviously have to look very closely at these, because there are two very, there can be two very compelling arguments on both sides. Um, that case, again, is less simple, and the, the case site is 2021 wl 164- 8762 from the district court for the district of Massachusetts. Well, so I think those are all the cases we were going to talk about today. We have a few more in our article and uh, we just wanted to say we're now that we're two years in, there is certainly uh, a more developed body of case law on force majeure. uh, And that may be just in time because certainly see the possibility of future disruptions on the horizon, supply chain issues, the war in Ukraine, inflationary pressures, so I, I suppose it remains to be seen whether these cases that we've seen decided in the COVID context end up having an in, impact on, on cases that may come down the pike uh, dealing with these kinds of issues. Yeah, then I, I, I think and I think these cases could could provide guidance to, to, to us, to our clients, as to what should go in your force majeure clause, uh, what to expect, mm-hmm. what to expect if you have an, an existing force majeure clause in a contract. Um, Given given the realities of of, of what's going on, uh, supply chain issues again you mentioned uh, wars, I think these cases provide guidance for us and our clients as to what they could expect if they have force majeure clauses in their contracts. And most and I guess important just as important if you're drafting force majeure clauses going forward, what to include there, uh, how to cover your bases in case you know there's a there's another variant. Um, or any other uh, unexpected event that that could arise. Sure. And and a lot of these force majeure clauses are kind of structured where they will say, 
they'll give a description of what it's covered, uh, things like acts of God and unforeseen events, and then this laundry list of things that would fall within that covered thing, and then following that, kind of a catch-all saying, and anything else like that. Um, so one thing we've seen, though, is the courts will look at that laundry list. Even if the laundry list is supposed to be just exemplary and not definitive, they'll look to that laundry list and, and see whether or not the thing that you're claiming as a, as a, as a force majeure event is like the thing in those lists. Um, so advice to people drafting the, the provisions is, is try to um, foresee you know, what the events might be and, and try to be as specific as possible. Um, in putting those, those laundry lists in. Um, that can be difficult advice because the thing about unforeseeable events is that you don't foresee them, and it's hard to list a bunch of things you don't necessarily know are going to happen. Um, but the more specific you can be and or the more broad you can be with the catch-all provision, uh, probably the better it'll be for you. Uh, these contracts that we discussed in, in our conversation – they're interpreted under different state laws. So I would just note that the interpretation of force majeure clauses, or like any clause in a contract, will depend on what state you're in, on what, what state law governs the particular contract. So the outcomes may be different um, depending on, on the law, the operative mm-hmm. law. I would also note that force majeure is only one, one defense a party could claim of, of, for excusing uh, its obligations under a contract. Uh, there's also impossibility, impracticability. There's frustration of purpose. Those are other defenses that a party could raise to to try to uh, excuse its non-performance under a contract. We're not going to go into those here, but that's for another podcast. But so stay tuned. But the, and those are closely related to to the concepts in force majeure, and uh, that they deal with. Things that make it very hard to do to do your contractual obligations. So, if, if your force majeure provision is, is not uh, broad enough to encompass COVID, then, then maybe these other provisions would be. Well, Cameron, thanks for that. That was uh, that was fun. I learned a lot about force majeure. I did too. Uh, let's uh, let's stay tuned, and we'll we'll keep an eye on these cases, and maybe we'll do another one in a year or so. Absolutely, and uh, I'll just give my. Uh, email address. I'm at, my name is Noah Lindenfeld. I'm at nlindenfeld at kellydry.com. And my email address is crgetsinger. That's C-A-R-G-E-T-S-I-N-G-E-R at kellydry.com. Thanks, everybody. Take care. For additional information on this and other topics, please visit kellydry.com. Kelly Dry has podcasts available through your podcast provider.